Welcome back to World is Burning, our one hour and 41 minute <laughs> podcast for your climate anxiety. Always. I'm not um. kidding. In my garage band, you said that at one minute and 41 seconds. That's a right little now? freaky. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I don't okay. know if anyone knows what that number means. I know that 143 is like, I love you. What would 141, yeah. I love I? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Our first two episodes were one hour and 41 minutes. Yeah. So let's see if this episode will be one hour and 41 minutes. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that is Olivia over there. And that's Elise. And this is this is our our show. <laughs> this is our show. I We have like a huge uh, subject today because mm-hmm. we've had this idea in our heads for like a couple of weeks. And Elise named it sort of in her head, Amazon good, Amazon bad. And that's yes. that's basically what it is. We're talking about Amazon.com as a company and then also the Amazon. Actually, are you yeah. talking about the rainforest or the river? I'm talking about the Amazon rainforest. Okay. Which the, yes. I think the Amazon river runs through, I presume. Yes. Honestly, didn't research the river, but... I was talking about the forest because it, it is Amazon good, but also where bad things are happening. So. Yeah. And mine's Amazon bad where a lot of good things are honestly happening. So that's interesting. But um, <laughs> yeah, there's just like, I, I feel like there's there's so much to talk about with both. We could almost make this a series, but mm-hmm. especially Amazon.com, we talk about a lot in like the sustainability world. Um kind of Mm -hmm. zero waste world because it it feels like it really contributes to consumption culture and just like capitalism and excessive wealth. Yeah. But then there are a lot of great things that Amazon.com is able to do because of their reach. Do you want to just jump in and tell us about Amazon.com? Sure. So I'm going to give you, I mean, like I said, this could honestly be the start of a series of things. I'm a little overwhelmed from the research that I've done the last few days just because there's literally so much to tell you. But I'm going to start off with just basically a timeline of of the company and then get into a couple of other things afterwards. So first of all, my sources are um, Britannica's Amazon biography was really helpful. CNN also has a timeline of the whole company, Business Insider, Um, The Amazon blog and its sustainability section, I spent almost a scary amount of time in like (laughs) Amazon.com, essentially propaganda that actually affected me. So I'll talk about that. But um, interesting. Yeah, there's um, a whole movement called Amazon Employees for Climate Justice. I got some stuff from um, an article from The Washington Post, um, which is owned by Jeff Bezos, if you didn't know, an article from The Atlantic. And then in a Medium article called Boycotting Amazon Won't Work by Justin Ward in a uh, Guardian article. And really, like, I had so many tabs open that I just had to close right now because I'm like, <laughs> I'm not going to get to them. There's so much stuff. So Amazon, like I said, the company was founded by Jeff Bezos, who was formerly a Wall Street hedge fund executive in 1994 in Washington state. Um, which I think there were some tax advantages to being in Washington. I also believe that's where he already lived. So that was sort of the impetus of everything. Um, He chose the name Amazon. Well, one, because it starts with A, the first letter of the alphabet, 
But then also for the association with the South American River, the Amazon River. Oh yeah, I have to send you, uh, I'll send you afterwards a photo or maybe now. Okay, I just sent you a, a picture of their first logo, which we'll put on the blog. Okay. Because it can't, do you get it yet? It might take a yes, second. Yes, I, I just I just got it. It's like the A shape with the river. Thing. Yeah. So yeah, it has the river going right through it. And it says Earth's biggest bookstore. Because it started as a book company, it was one of, not the very first, but one of the first online bookstores. Um, and for the first few years that it was around, they thought that Borders and Barnes & Noble would just shift to online and basically put them out of business. Mm-hmm. But Jeff Bezos, a lot of the time, would say... You know, they were never even just a book company, even when they only sold books. They He likes to say that they're a technology company. And also, um, he wanted to call the company Cadabra, um, but was talked out of it because it sounds similar to Cadaver. Cadabra. I, I thought, I honestly thought you were about to say Cadaver. Really? I That's what clicked in my head before I processed it and was like, oh, Cadabra, not cadaver so yeah good call yeah on on their part because I definitely thought you were gonna say cadaver yeah and they said actually too that it's especially on the phone that people think that and we're on zoom right now I mean you can kind of see my mouth but not really so yeah cadabra like abracadabra because he Mm -hmm. liked the magical thing or whatever but I also Mm -hmm. just this week um watched slash rewatched the jinx which I don't know if you remember okay um but Robert Durst his second victim i mean i guess there's some speculation whether or not he was involved in her murder but susan berman uh when she was murdered at her home someone sent a letter to the la police that said her address and then cadaver below it and that Uh, like unique use of the word cadaver i don't know if you remember this did you ever watch the james uh, yes. I, I only remember that there was some misspelling on a letter mm-hmm. address or like Beverly someone, like, Hills. Someone. OK, so, yeah, someone like consistently spelled it wrong and that's how like they tied it to him or something. Yeah. Well, OK. Yeah. These are spoilers. Different. Spoilers. <laughs> oh, no, no. If anyone, um, I'm going to explain it to You've you. Had, Just skip it forward yeah. a little bit. You've had like five years. So, I mean, but yeah. I also hadn't seen the end of the. Actually, I had seen the last interview, but I hadn't seen most of the stuff in between, which is why it was kind of a rewatching, kind of not. But again, spoilers, skip ahead. Um, he in the like iconic last interview of the Jinx, he they like show a photo or show a letter that he had mm-hmm. written to Susan Berman that had her address in the exact same all caps um, handwriting and the misspelling of Beverly with an extra E and show that against the cadaver letter and they showed it to him on camera he like freaks out and starts burping a lot um but he seems fairly calm and then he goes into the bathroom when his (gasps) mic is still hot do you remember this yeah no i remember that part. yeah and he's you're like yeah he goes in and he's like oh shit they they have me basically so he was like i "I killed them all yeah he's like killed them all of course and Um, that's like the end yeah so i mean Watch that. We just kind yeah. of ruined it. End but, of spoilers. But, but of spoilers. why Why did it say cadaver? Like, were they already dead? Or was it just like yeah, creepy before, yeah, before they were killed? It was like, it was sort of their clue that someone might have killed her that knew her because they sent that to the police. Since she was killed at her house, mm. like, it might not have been discovered right away. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, okay. So hmm. quick true crime aside. So yeah, probably a good move that he went with Amazon. Although it's just, I feel like it's very ironic now thinking about it as like an environmental issue. Okay, yeah. so kind of a quick, I'm going to like breeze through a timeline of um, Amazon because I just want you to get an idea of like how their services have grown. Mm-hmm. Um, so they started off in you know 94, 95 as a book company. They slowly added like music and CDs, um, sort of spreading to uh, a couple of other things. In t- 1999, um, Jeff Bezos is Times Person of the Year, and they also introduced OneClick, which is if you've ever been on the website, it makes it a lot easier to buy things with one click. Mm-hmm. So it was encouraging you to buy more and for it to just be an easier process. Um, mm-hmm. But it actually took until the final quarter of 2001 for them to technically be profitable, even though in like the late 90s is when they went public and um, were getting a lot of money. It took until 2001 for them to turn a profit. And then in 2003, they launched their web hosting, which has turned into Amazon Web Services, which is a huge part of their business. I'll get into later. There's a a really great article called Boycotting Amazon Won't Work. And they talk about how people are, you know, boycotting Amazon and using the hashtag Boycott Amazon. Um, But they're using Mm -hmm. that on Twitter, which pays nearly 16 million monthly to Amazon Web Services for their hosting. Um, It's also used by Apple, a bunch of like massive, massive companies. So there's that. Um, And then in February 2005, they launched Amazon Prime, which now has over 100 million members. Um, At the time, it was $79 a year. Now I think it's more like 119, something like that. Yeah, something like that. They launched the Kindle in 2007, acquired Audible in 2008. So for audiobooks. Um, They acquired Zappos, the shoe company, in 2009, um, mainly because they couldn't, their main way of acquiring business is by being fast and offering free returns, fast shipping, and Zappos was already offering all that stuff, so they basically had to acquire them in order to, like, take their business, otherwise they couldn't. Um, In 2012, they acquired Kiva Systems um, for $775 million, uh, which is, like, a robotics company, which was so that they could have more automation in their fulfillment centers, so they would have less need for human staff. And they also made, Amazon made Kiva terminate their relationships with companies like Office Depot and The Gap in order, it says, in order to keep the technology to themselves. In 2013 is when Bezos announced his intention to buy the Washington Post. Um, And they also started delivering packages on Sunday. So I just feel like, I wish this visual could just go out with like a spider, like a whatever, something just like spreading, like rivers yeah. all just spreading out. It's like all these different avenues, all of this different stuff is coming up. Um, in 2014, they tried to make a smartphone. It didn't go well, and they ate a bunch of money for that. They acquired Twitch, which has become super, super even more popular during quarantine with everyone um, gaming on Twitch. Um, and they also had the first Amazon Echo, which really got going in 2015 um, and is now, you know, a huge product for them. Kind of gets Amazon into your life all the time. Mm -hmm. In 2017, they acquired Whole Foods 
And then in 2018, they hit one trillion market cap. So like briefly, their market value was one trillion and there was like projection mm-hmm. to be closer to two trillion. I didn't check for like current stats, but it it, it mm-hmm. could be getting up closer to that. Um, they also raised raised their minimum wage to $15 an hour after pressure from people like Bernie Sanders. And then in 2018, they announced their new headquarters in Long Island City and Arlington, Virginia. The one in New York City got so much backlash that after protests in 2019 that they canceled that whole idea, but they still went to Arlington and then also like a not a full center, but 5,000 employees in Nashville. So tons of stuff. And those development projects basically promised to bring each city a giant infusion of high paying jobs and tax revenue, but also um, impact area infrastructure and property values. Um, I feel like we even, I don't know, I heard people talking about this a lot in Nashville because this happened in 2018. Yeah. I remember it happening, yeah. Yeah, this is like pretty close after, or I moved in 2019, but I, I remember this being a thing. And like when I was looking at job boards, um, you'd always see Amazon jobs as an option. Yeah. And then in 2019, this is not like part of their timeline. Most of that timeline came from CNN, but um, mm-hmm. this is a, a big event that I remember and um, you might remember there was an Amazon warehouse worker um, who had a heart attack. His name was Billy Foister um, and laid on the floor of the warehouse for 20 minutes with coworkers working around him before being brought to the hospital. That's just insane. Like yeah. people were literally working around him and then not it, even checking. Yeah. And then there was a, a Guardian article that said an amnesty person was who like first alerted that they should call 911. But he literally just lay there. And there's a lot of complaints about Amazon warehouse working conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, it, they even got on the National Council for Occupational Safety and Health's 2019 Dirty Dozen list of most dangerous employers in the United States. It's not a list not that you want to be on necessarily, but hopefully no. that like gives you an idea of just how quickly and insanely they've grown. I almost like didn't. I feel like usually if we're doing a story, we'll try to like frame it around a certain person or a single story. Yeah. But the only consistent person for this whole story is Jeff Bezos. And I don't really want like it's not about him. I feel like it's like framing consumption around and how we've like the infrastructure of consumption and like how it's changed around Amazon. Yeah. And like Amazon is the thing. It's like huge, but it. It's crazy that it's it's hard to, like, wrap your head around the fact that it is just one thing. Yeah. Because it's so pervasive in, like, everything. It's Even just, like, it's, Alexa, play, whatever. Yeah. And just, like, having like, it in your life is so... They, they make it as easy as possible and as convenient as possible for you to use their services so that you don't even have the time realize that you're using them. Um, yeah. Especially with, like, the... The web server thing like if they're hosting like so many other big companies yeah like oh i'm not supporting amazon but you kind of are right or like using their their products yeah um so in that article which is great amazon what is it called boycotting amazon won't work 
they talk about like the fact that Amazon is so diversified that even if you stop buying from Amazon, you know, dot com, like marketplace, stop buying your whatever dish soap on there. Mm-hmm. That I, I believe that makes a difference, but it doesn't make a difference that's in any way going to hurt their pockets. Yeah. 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 Cause like I've, I've stopped, I like canceled my prime subscription mostly because I was like, I need to stop buying stuff Yeah. because it's easy. And I just like, cannot think about what I'm actually buying. But like, I, yeah, I don't know. No, I, I feel like that makes a big difference for like me consuming but yeah I guess it wouldn't really hurt them that much but it's, it, it still makes a difference I think to like fight against the consumption culture but you can't expect like canceling your prime subscription to you know make Amazon fold so they had a really great stat in here that kind of helped me envision that so it said in the United States um, prime subscriptions run around $120 annually if a hundred thousand subscribers simultaneously canceled their memberships, the loss would be equivalent to 0.0005% of Amazon Web Services annual revenue, which is actually only a subset of (laughs) Of Amazon's total profit. Yeah. Um, But I think it is Amazon Web Services is their most profitable sector. Hmm. But that's also saying they just make a, a ridiculous amount of money. Yeah. But yeah, I like and that's what I was kind of I was like stressed about this earlier today because I'm like, what what conclusions do I have? I don't really have any. It's just kind of like this is this is how it currently is. We obviously can't continue with it being how it currently is, but also yeah, shaming people for using Amazon, shaming the consumer really at any stage for using Amazon is not what's going to fix the issue. Um, like, I feel like, no. you know, ever since I got more into the zero waste movement and have started talking about environmentalism a lot in like the last few years, I have friends like multiple. I mean, you even said this earlier who are like, um, you know, I ordered this thing on Amazon. Sorry, Olivia. Like, you know, they they don't want to admit that they <laughs> are watching, you know, something on Amazon video or like that they ordered something on Amazon or, you know, from another like Walmart or big box store. And I'm like, that's I don't think you should feel ashamed about that. I would love if less people use them. But at the same time, you know, I used Amazon Prime when I was a college student to buy books, at least in my freshman year. I think I stopped using them a little bit later, but definitely use that, you know, Amazon student, whatever, when I was a freshman, Mm -hmm. because it makes it so much easier if you can just buy all of your books in the same place. Yeah. And just like price price comparisons for books too. yeah I feel like there I mean there are other ones that are just as easy to use but yeah the, no there definitely are but it, it, there's some convenience factor and then also nationwide it all being the same so that someone you know I can say you should use Biblio or um, Libro FM is a really great it's, one for audiobooks yeah. and um, there's a fairly recent website called bookshop.com that um, is like very connected to independent bookstores. So it's basically like a nationwide bookshop for, or bookstore for independent books. Um, mm-hmm. And they have a used section called Biblio. I literally learned this a couple of days ago because I bought a book for one of my graduate school classes, which is great. But 
like and it allows you to buy from an independent bookstore but the experience that I have of buying that is not going to be the same experience that you have even if you try to buy the exact same book today so like the Mm -hmm. uniformity of Amazon is just so convenient for people yeah yeah and especially like in a system I mean you were saying it was like for books like in a system where like school is already so expensive Mm -hmm. and it's like all those materials are so expensive like having something that you know you'll get also like before classes start like in that time between Mm -hmm. when you get your list of books and when school starts and for cheaper that makes a big difference right this is a quote from Jeff Bezos. It's not directly aligned with what we're talking about, but I just think it's funny. Um, he said this, I think, sometime in the late 90s. Um, he said, communication is a sign of dysfunction. It means people aren't working together in a close, organic way. We should be trying to figure out a way for teams to communicate less with each other, not more. <laughs> Which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But it's such a like billionaire thing to say. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess if, like, your system is so good that, like, you don't have to troubleshoot and have conflict resolution communication or whatever. I think it, I guess, it just but means, also, like, what? I think it just means stifling your issues and not talking about them because you work in a hostile environment where you can't bring up issues Yeah. when they're small, and so they turn into bigger issues. If there's someone lying on the ground, yeah, we're not going to talk about it. For at least 20 minutes. Exactly. No, you just keep working around them because you have so much work to do. Uh, In the early 2000s, Amazon employees, especially during the holiday season, were encouraged to use primal screams as a therapeutic release during high tension holiday, uh, the high tension holiday season. Uh, That was from a Business Insider History Like Facts article that I highly recommend uh, because it's just fucking insane. Like (laughs) one of the. Uh, you know, people that was in that article was saying like, I would offer, he was like a manager at the time. And so he would offer up his phone line if people wanted to like scream if they reached a certain quota. And so he said they would like break his speakers sometimes. They would scream so loud just to let out the release of stress from the holiday season. Um, And so that got really bad, like in the early 2000s. And they started, um, you know, hiring a lot of seasonal employees. Uh, But then the issue with seasonal employees, too, is that they're less trained, they're less used to the environment that they're in. And so that can lead to more dangerous work environment. And just just crazy, crazy things. So in 2019, there was a group called Amazon Employees for Climate Justice that you can still you can follow them on Twitter. um, And they have a website also. They are really like great advocates for Amazon employees because I think, you know, I can criticize Amazon for this, but it's not exclusive to Amazon. I think it's pretty much any big company has a very strict communication policy and specifically in communicating to the media. There's a lot of restrictions about that and just a lot of you basically can't talk shit about your own company and expect them to Mm -hmm. keep you hired. So basically the that group has been really instrumental in just like talking about a lot of the issues that are happening and happening internally at Amazon and then just also critiquing their sustainability approach. Uh, Like I said, I spent like an hour on their uh, aboutamazon.com sustainability website because Mm -hmm. obviously it's a huge company. They have so many resources to put into what people want to hear in terms of the the conscious consumer, quote unquote, who's going to go and look at their sustainability website. 
they've made a lot of promises in their climate pledge that they did in 2019, which is their commitment to be net zero carbon um, across their whole business by 2040, which is 10 years ahead of the Paris Agreement. So that's been their kind of big thing is being 10 years ahead of the Paris Agreement. They also um, said they'll be 100% renewable energy by 2025. They'll purchase 100,000 electric delivery vehicles. They will like open two pledge funds. One's called the Climate Pledge Fund, which is supposed to have $2 billion to support the development of technology and services that reduce climate emissions and help preserve a natural world. And uh, the Right Now Climate Fund, which is investing $100 million in reforestation projects and climate mitigation solutions. All right. I feel like I just got paid by Amazon to read that. So just like <laughs> let me cleanse myself real fast because I was looking at that website and I was like, oh, wow, that's a pretty impressive, you know, those are pretty impressive and concrete steps to take. But I have to remember that this is the largest company in the world, if one of the largest companies in the world. Um, and they have so much money to put into this exactly for consumers like me who maybe a yeah. couple of years ago was just considering, you know, speaking ill of Amazon, um, boycotting Amazon, whatever, and then goes on this website and is like, oh, no, they're they're doing their part. Um, but yeah. uh, so they they also part of that was committing to releasing reports of their carbon footprint. And so on June 24th of 2020, they released their 2019 climate report and like all those climate pledge promises had been made in 2019, um, but they their CO2 emissions surged up by 15% mm. in that year. Um, and I have another, sorry. Yeah, it, it's also, it seems like, I mean, 2040 is still a long ways away. It seems like it's easy to say now, oh yeah, we'll get it 10 years faster. Right. And then, yeah. Increase not your do it. carbon like emissions by 15% in the year that you are in right now. Yeah. And like, yeah, basically, yeah, those rose by 15%, which is 6.77 millions of metric tons in like in a year. And they kind of yeah. tried to defend it by being like, okay, well, in comparison to our the rise of our profits, it was sort of in line, but it really doesn't freaking matter. It's like if you have a if you have an insanely large carbon footprint like that we need to be working faster like that's basically what it comes down to yeah but yeah I almost want to go back to the conversation of like personally not stopping trying to stop using Amazon um because it's something I've struggled with in the last few years too like I was never a one-click buy you know I don't even I never had Amazon Prime except for like that student one for a little while um, but I definitely would price check things on Amazon and up until last year was regularly buying things on Amazon. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just like if you live in, you know, the middle of nowhere and Amazon is your only access to everything, it's a huge sacrifice to, for you to give up Amazon. I'm not necessarily convinced that those yeah. people should give it up, um, but yeah. I think there are larger issues that we all need to talk about. That yeah do need to be yeah because like I even living in a city like one of the things that I loved about Amazon is like I could 
find exactly what I was looking for, whether it was like the right size of like something I needed for the house or like or like a weird ingredient that like different grocery stores might not have. Mm -hmm. So I could order whatever like weird flour or like whatever ingredient Mm -hmm. and not have to go to three grocery stores and have people give me weird looks. Yeah. Asking for like whatever. Mm -hmm. So I meant like if you don't live in a city and you're looking for even just like a normal thing that maybe the store is out of or whatever, like that makes life so much easier if you need that. Yeah. Especially if it's like, yeah. Yeah, it's like buying those medicine or specific things. But then also, on the other hand, when I don't use, like, when I haven't had any access to buying things online, for example, when I was living in Morocco, I lived in an incredibly Mm -hmm. rural area. Um, I didn't, you know, I had access into the center of town a couple times a day if I absolutely needed it. And I definitely had to work my schedule around when the, not even bus, when the van would go into town. Um, and I really didn't feel like there was anything that I was missing. I had my mom send me Ghirardelli, um, chocolate powder so I can make chocolate Mm. cake, but like, I did not need that. It was just a nice thing for her to send to me, which maybe she bought it on. I know. I think she bought it at the grocery store, but, um, it doesn't really matter. But just like, there's this idea that we created in the last 20 years is that we need something. We need it by tomorrow or, um, you know, even if we don't need it, we just really want it. And it's so easy for us to be like, cool, it'll arrive tomorrow. Like, don't even have to think about it. And I think that's the like mindset that we have to change. It's not even yeah. just Amazon, although they are the biggest culprits of it. And they definitely are, you know, wanting you to buy as much as possible, as often as possible. Yeah. yeah. But they're not the only part of the issue. Uh, but I don't want to give them a yeah. pass. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, I th- I think I think culturally speaking, they're a big a big portion of like us thinking that way. Mm-hmm. Specifically for things that we absolutely don't need or like it would be really funny if we had like Candyland. I'm going to order it right now, which that is something that absolutely happened. Yeah. Like <laughs> I don't like or like what or I think it was shoots and ladders. We were like, this is stupid. Like, we haven't played this since, we, like, we were kids. Like, it'd be funny to just have it. Like, it's not a fun game to play unless you're, like, four. But, yeah. like, I, it would just be funny to have in two days from now. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't need that. Right. But just, like, the ability to order it and have it so quickly is, like, that's the, pro- that, that's the pro- problem. And, like, that I feel like is so big that they have been huge in causing yeah in us yeah as people 100 and just thinking that that's normal because like that's like not a normal thing to do either i feel like it's normal now well yeah it's become like normal <laughs> impulse buying yeah or i feel like people's like weird drunk purchases or whatever or just the adrenaline that you get when you buy something i is is ridiculous but it's that like there's a satisfaction that you get when you place an order anywhere. And so yeah. I I feel like I've always had a little bit of unusual purchasing patterns. Like I, I don't buy that much stuff online, but I, I sort of do. Mm-hmm. I just now I really try to vouch any company that I'm going to buy for um, and make sure that, first of all, I actually really need the product and it's going to noticeably enhance my life. And then also that if in any way possible, I can 
use that money and spend it locally or at least from an independent, hopefully U.S.-based company. But there's so much that goes into it. Like, it won't matter if you don't spend your money at Amazon. They have their fingers in so many things that, like, your whatever, how much you spend at Amazon in a year, they will not miss that. But if you spend that money at a local store or someone who owns the company, like, those dollars are going to make a huge difference to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, that could be life-changing for them if, like, a couple extra customers regularly buy from them. Yeah. And just supporting the local economy 100% makes a difference. So, yeah, I don't, I, that's, I guess, can be our conclusion. Uh, I'm curious if people have specific topics about Amazon. I did not even touch on environmental racism, which is a huge issue with Amazon. I think it is deserving of its entirely own section. But um, that advocacy group that I talked about, Amazon Employees for Climate Justice, do talk about that. Um, so, that's like a thing that we can go into in the future, but that's just a primer on on Amazon and why Amazon. it's like so important to the environmental discussion, even though it might not directly seem like that's the case. Yeah, and also I feel like what was what was the hundred million that the Amazon whatever the climate people were were gonna give to something the right now climate fund is for reforest yeah 100 million for reforestation projects and climate mitigation solutions yeah because like that sounds really good Mm -hmm. when you read it like right now it sounds like you're doing an ad for amazon i know but i literally have to cleanse myself (laughs) but also what when you think about like what that money would be to like just jeff bezos Mm -hmm. and not the amazon company as a whole he wouldn't hurt if he lost 100 million dollars not at all oops sorry that's just like daily fluctuation of like whatever no so yeah and at the end of the day like that's not even that much money for them to put towards that like they could put billions of dollars he could put billions of dollars towards completely changing the way oh yeah i don't have the stat but i've seen it on social media that's you know whatever amount of money he's made in the last six months is um, whatever it's like almost as much money as he had at the beginning or he's made an obscene he makes an obscene amount of money yeah every single day and no one deserves to be even a one millionth of as rich as jeff bezos like yeah capitalism so so yeah i feel like amazon can throw out a lot of like really big numbers that like normal people will look at and be like whoa 100 million dollars to make plant trees or whatever like awesome right but like really yeah it's not anything to them yeah no there there was a graph I mean I wish I had put it in here but there was a graph that showed you know big companies that have made donations I think specifically related to COVID-19 and it's Mm -hmm. like you know for if it was an average person's salary it would be like four dollars or the ones that were high it was like 10 companies and the highest ones were like $52 from an average person's salary, which maybe $30,000. or I don't know what that would be, but yeah, I don't um, know. yeah, it's just, Isn't it's it, a ridiculously yeah. small amount of money for them to be putting towards something. And even if they can say they're making these efforts, like for example, one of their things is like frustration free packaging, which I remember a couple years ago trying to buy things from them. And I was already to a point where I really felt like Amazon was too wasteful for me to justify 
personally spending my money there. But that was one mm-hmm. thing that I was like, okay, well, if they can, if I can get something on Amazon with frustration-free packaging versus like not being able to find the exact product that I want within a local radius, then maybe it's better to buy it there. But then I would get it and, you know, maybe it would have those air filled like bags that are technically yeah. recyclable sort like, of they degrade so quickly and also they're only you can only recycle them with very specific um you know recycling programs that are only accepted in xyz cities or whatever yeah by the time you unless you already know how all that works like i'm gonna spend just as much time figuring out how to recycle that than i would actually just going out to a store to find the thing that i'm ordering exactly probably Exactly. Yeah. I'm also like trying not to get too depressing with this because I feel like there's there's so much information out there. I mean, there's the the Atlantic article is about worker issues and, you know, people that have worked in Amazon warehouses and now can't move their backs or are like completely debilitated and have yeah. these horrible issues that were caused by their workplace conditions. But they're so replaceable to a massive yeah. company that... Well, like, that's a huge sustainability issue, I feel yeah. like. Like, human, human, like, movement and working, like, and just, like, being functionally alive can't keep up with the pace of, like, production and distribution like that. Yeah. No, absolutely so, not. like, that, it's not sustainable for humans to consume the way that Amazon is making it seem normal to do. Yeah. Normal and so easy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I could go on forever. <laughs> there's so and then there's so much about like how they started as a a bookstore even that if that's not what he wanted to call it it was a bookstore for a certain period of time and now they I mean there's a whole thing about audible and the way that their audible exclusives um really hurt independent bookstores and independent mm-hmm. audio sources that would want access to these massive books that get 90-day exclusivity licenses with audible and that's like the primary time that someone's going to b- want to buy an audiobook. Mm-hmm. So frustrating. Um, they also have so much market power that they can push down the price of something to where they can afford to buy it at a certain volume, but then smaller stores can't. Yeah. It's just, there's a horrible pit that you can fall down if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. But try to keep it positive. Yeah. <laughs> was any how much was positive there i don't know <laughs> i guess <laughs> i mean this podcast is called the world is burning i it's it's sort of positive hopefully it makes you yeah. feel a little bit better or at least a little more like or just like the it's not yeah and like just the idea like it's not that's a situation where it's like not up to the individual yeah to make a difference yes so don't feel bad if you need to like order something because you can't afford it otherwise or like yes but if you do have the means to to not actually i'll make a list of um amazon alternatives that i use um and you can add some to it too because i it does make a difference but it's not going to make the difference yeah or like if you really need to do some research on diane fossey you can only find the uh the, the documentary series that you want to watch that has, like, a lot of primary sources on Amazon, like... I don't know, yeah. I don't know who's who we're talking about, but, like, I don't hypothetically... Know if, like, anyone has ever had that happen to them, yeah, but, like... So weird. Super relatable. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's it's 100% fine. Or, like, if I occasionally want to watch Twitch streamers that I like, 
it's it's okay. Yeah. Or, like, that's a situation where, like, maybe it's better to support, like, that creator and, like, it's going to make a bigger difference to them than, like, you are supporting Amazon. Right. Cool. So you want to tell us well, about the... Yeah. I don't even know. Is Speaking. It, is it a more positive story? The other Amazon? Um. Well, my transition was going to be, well, <laughs> speaking of the world's burning, uh, I'm talking about the Amazon rainforest today. So <laughs> nice. it's, it's one, it's one that I don't, I like, it's, I know I'll get more into it, but like, I feel like it's so absolutely like gut-wrenchingly devastating, but also <laughs> super hopeful at the same, <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. Like, Oh, this was going to be the last thing I say, but I'll say it at the beginning. Like, there, there's um, a thing called, it's just, like, the Amazon panel, but it's, like, a collection of, like, 150 or, like, a couple hundred scientists studying and focusing solely on the Amazon and just, like, learning and learning about how to protect it. And just, I feel like there's a lot of knowledge being gained and just, like, importance and, like, global attention on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they agree. <laughs> honk, honk if you agree. <laughs> yeah, it's a honk um, if you agree. <laughs> this, this car that might be getting broken into agrees with you 100%. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like hopefully, like, if there's anything that there is hope around, hopefully, like, the global recognition that the Amazon rainforest is vitally important Mm -hmm. and needs to be protected is a good thing and a hopeful thing that we can cling to for your life yes i um (laughs) i saw this thing um uh, there's this new documentary that's coming out i'll i'll find the name of it um but it's all about like regeneration and so kind of like changing Mm -hmm. the idea from sustainability is still incredibly important, but it's sort of like the middle of the issue. It's fixing the stuff that's already happening, whereas regeneration, yeah. specifically re- regeneration of, um, they were talking specifically about soil and dirt in farmland, but also applies mm-hmm. to rainforests and soil there. That regeneration is really going to be the thing that like can turn things around. Yeah, thinking about growing back and healing as opposed to just like, we need to be less damaging yeah. to the environment yeah <laughs> like we need to stop actively burning things yeah and then like yeah the actual like healing building back up part yes that's super important but anyway i read stuff from uh bbc scientific american survival international and manga bay which is like a nature news thing um but yeah anyway i feel like there's been a lot less discussion about the amazon uh, because last year was so insane with all the fires. Like, mm. if you were alive, you probably remember that. If you were alive. And if you weren't alive, honestly, <laughs> hi. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, the Amazon rainforest is often called the lungs of the earth because it's a huge carbon store for the entire world, which, again, is when it was on fire is part of why it was seen as an international issue, which I feel like is a little glimmer of hope, maybe. Mm -hmm. But there was this study by Carlos Nobre and Thomas E. Lovejoy that said um, if 
deforestation got past 20 or 25 percent of the total that it was is that there will be a tipping point and the landscape will go from being this beautiful lush rainforest to uh, triggering longer dry seasons that will then cause a shift to uh, savanna devastation, uh, savanna vegetation, which would basically ruin most of the carbon store and just mm. be devastating for the world as a whole. Um, yeah, that's crazy. And, it could go from rainforest to savanna. Yes, like, especially like yes, we're and we're teetering on that edge. Like it's between if we have three to eight percent more deforestation, that's what's estimated to be the tipping point. So we wow. are like so close to maybe hitting that. To which Carlos Nobre and Thomas E. Lovejoy were like. Let's just keep it like well under the twenty percent limit. Like, let's not find out. Yeah, let's not find out if our research is right or exactly to what extent our research is accurate by tipping the point mm-hmm. because that would be really bad. So, like, let's just not find out, guys. Yeah. Um. So, so that's like the probably the big one of the biggest things is just trying to stop deforestation and fires from destroying that three to eight percent more of the forest Mm -hmm. because that could become very bad and the majority of the amazon is in brazil i think it's like 60 percent of it so a lot of discussion around the amazon and how to preserve like preserve it save it um centers around brazilian politics which at the top of last year 2019 uh jair bolsonaro was elected president and he ran on like making the Amazon more open for economic development, <laughs> which yeah, <laughs> there the parallels between the U.S. and Brazil in terms of politics. Yes, are like y- yes, yikes. it's it's which and like we'll get into this. Is I I feel like in one on one hand it's really depressing, but on another hand it's like a little bit hopeful. Mm-hmm. We'll see, uh, <laughs> but. <laughs> Uh, but so like a lot of times, which again, like U.S. fires are happening now, but like a lot of times these fires can happen naturally. But most of the fires that we're looking at specifically in the Amazon and in Brazil are caused by setting fires to make land to raise cattle and to farm soybeans, mm-hmm. um, which is what Bolsonaro was trying to increase in terms of economic development, which, um, you know, tying back to like personal consumption the u.s is a huge consumer of brazilian beef and soybeans so that is definitely something to like look out for i guess if you want to be slightly more sustainable in your purchasing yeah um is just like trying to see or even just like starting conversations around like oh is this from brazil like whatever like what does that mean yeah i'm hot take well because you're the, the <laughs> you've been a vegetarian since you're 10 i've yeah, I've never. Well, that's actually that's not true. I've I've flirted with being a vegetarian since maybe close to that age, but never succeeded. Yeah. I mean, yeah, which we've stopped at enough vegetarian restaurants on. Yeah, no, I have a toe in it. I have like I definitely play the part enough that my roommate asked me the other day if I was a vegetarian, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. But regardless, anyways, like I feel like if you're buying meat, we can get into this a whole nother time. You should really be buying it mm-hmm. as local as possible. Um, so yeah. that, yeah. Even, I mean, all the things that have to go into meat production, 
at least if you could take out the intense travel of that to come here, that's yeah. definitely but a thing. It, it, in but that then case, soybeans too. It, yeah, it's not even travel. And then soybeans. So uh, hello vegans. Yeah. If you're eating tofu that was grown in Brazil, you're probably contributing just as much to d- deforestation as you would if you were just if you were eating beef. Yeah. And obviously you have like animal rights issues tied up in that. But like eating beef can be sustainable if you do it, if you like raise cattle on grassy plains where they're meant to live. And like if you live in that area or areas with that type of landscape, which really we could get into a whole episode. Yeah, we need to do a whole episode on diet. (laughs) Vegetarian, which I think is fascinating. It's like it can be more sustainable to eat meat in certain areas, which is crazy. Yeah. If you have like been a vegetarian for 15 years no I think it's interesting um, too yeah well okay there's so many idea. things but but anyway U.S. consumption Brazilian beef and ca- beef and soybeans vegans and meat eaters alike are contributing to deforestation mm-hmm. and like on a personal consumption level and like potentially from a larger U- U.S. economy trading decisions level like the U.S. could greatly impact what's happening down there and if like we changed our purchasing habits Mm -hmm. on a small and large scale but so in addition to running on and promising greater economic growth and development in the amazon uh bolsonaro also ran on being tough on crime which again there's a very interesting parallel here Because during his presidency, there have been a decrease in fines and enforcement on environmental crimes, Mm. which, as as I like in our first episode where I talked about Cancer Alley, I mentioned that there's a 30 year low uh, on enforcements of environmental criminal cases in the U.S. So it's kind of interesting to see these political figures who are apparently tough on crime and all about like law and order and whatever really just like being super lax about environmental crimes Mm -hmm. because potentially they benefit from them maybe Um, maybe (laughs) i don't know just just a hunch that i have (laughs) so anyway i think i think those parallels are very interesting and very telling but other than being an extremely important carbon store for the entire planet that is being destroyed at an alarming, alarmingly rapid rate. Um, the fact that environmental laws aren't being enforced means that the 1 million indigenous people living in Brazil are also not being protected. Mm. Um, because a lot of, they don't all live in the Amazon. There's lots of different climates and they're spread out, but their land isn't being protected. And Therefore, not only is their land directly at risk, they are also at risk. So I'm just going to get into a couple like big groups. Um, so the, the largest tribe in Brazil is the Guarani people with 51,000, with like a population of 51,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the tribe with the most land is the Yanomami. And I guess the land that they have would be about the size of Indiana. Which oh is wow! Interesting, yeah. So I guess they have a pretty good, which I'm. I'm. That is that is the land that they are on and they have, but I'm not entirely sure the levels of protection that that land has. Right. So like that might be their land, but like 
is it officially protected? If it is officially protected, are those protections being enforced? Right. Um, and then the largest Amazonian tribe, so Amazonian, they live like specifically in the forest um, in Brazil, is the Tacuna. And many of these groups or portions of the tribes are uncontacted. So, like, there's a tribe called the, like, Ama, uh, and a third of them are uncontacted, which means they're literally isolated and don't have any contact with the outside world. Oh, wow. Which also means that their immune systems aren't, they're not used to being exposed to the world at large, so they don't have immunity to things that, like, we would not have a problem with. Mm-hmm. Um, so they literally need a land buffer and like isolated land in order to survive. Right. So that's like another really important, like obviously we have the forest and we need that to breathe because air and carbon store, etc. But also like these people like need space. So that's like another really super important thing. Um, but also having them on the land and having it legally protected you can see a decrease in deforestation up to two-thirds. So by protecting the land that indigenous people live on in Brazil um, and in the Amazon and enforcing that can greatly protect the land. That's interesting. So, yeah. And so in Brazil, uh, there's, uh, like, one of the biggest things, which I kind of mentioned um, in protecting it is homologation, which is the designated or the designation of land as indigenous property in a process that's laid out in Brazil's constitution. So they have a very specific process for this. And after it happens, um, economic activity can't happen in the area without the consent of both the tribe that lives on the land and the government. Um, Of Brazil? Of Brazil, yeah. Yeah, so like for stuff to go down or like farmers or whatever or anything to happen economically, the government has to give the go ahead and the people who live there, the tribe who owns the land or like protects the land, um, they also have to agree. So it's like a bigger process. There are more people. As it should be, yeah. Involved. Yeah, like people who know the land, which, okay, so like researcher Catherine Baraguanath said, indigenous tribes are really linked to biodiversity management and reductions in deforestation. And it's because they live on the land and I think they have kind of a very keen sense of what would mean, uh, what it would mean to upset the ecosystem around them. So like they have the best understanding of the biodiversity and how things are connected and like what would be okay, what wouldn't be okay. I'm assuming like if stuff starts to happen, like they would be the first to notice if something was off. So like you have people who are, you know, experts in, economic development and people who are experts in the land and the biodiversity there both coming together to make an informed decision on what's okay what's smart Mm -hmm. so I just think it's interesting that they have an actual process laid out for this in their constitution I don't know I just think that's really interesting yeah it's cool and it makes me but like yeah well I I'll get I'm sure the but (laughs) is like yes I feel like the power dynamic background the power dynamic is not equal Yes. Yes. So, yeah. So, like, also, no new land has been designated in this way to Indigenous people under Bolsonaro or his predecessor, Michael Temer, 
Uh, so basically not since 2016. So no new lands have been protected mm-hmm. under 2016 and since 2016, at least. And also lands that are protected, people feel like more okay going into protected land and burning it so they can grow soybeans or raise cattle on the protected land because of Bolsonaro. Like they're oh, like violating to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're like, oh, well, like, he's not actually going to punish me for doing it, so I'm just going to do it anyway. Wow. So that's bad. Um, But so, like, there is, like, a balance of, like, okay, protected land is good. It has been shown to work, but under this president, people don't really pay that much attention to it. Mm-hmm. But so this year, like, obviously last year was, like, I feel like a lot of people paid so much attention to it and, like, you couldn't scroll through Instagram without seeing pictures. But this year is, like, almost as bad. Last year in August, there were over 30,000 fires in the Amazon. Um, and this year, there were around, like, 25,000. Wow. So, like, still so many. And actually, June and July were worse this year than last year, which I think raises a lot of alarm bells to people kind of paying attention to it because, like, with the dry season, maybe it's lasting longer, maybe it's drier earlier, making the fires more severe. So hopefully we're not seeing the dry seasons starting to come about. That could be the tipping situation. Yeah. But like, and, and this is kind of, I was saying that like, I feel like we should have like a little bit of a discussion because you have these crazy fires in the Amazon, right? This past week, I feel like I've been seeing so much about just absolutely devastating fires Mm -hmm. on the West Coast. And, like, last year, Australia was, like, seemingly in its entirety on fire, which is terrifying. And they're all places that colonizers have stolen indigenous land and tried to use it for, like, economic gain and just living purposes. And I know last week you brought up that quote, and I know you posted it on our Instagram this week as well, but, like, the idea of like looking at things globally versus locally. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of times it is easier to look at things on a local level. And I do think it is super important to still look at it at a local level because that's where like a lot of stuff happens. But I feel like it almost has to be looked at globally for this one. I don't yeah, know if you have any you- thoughts on that or like if international action needs to happen or something. Just like you see these like such clear patterns and like these characters that seem to be have the same talking points in multiple areas and to the same effect i feel like it's just what keeps happening and why everyone feels so goddamn exhausted all the time is that like we keep having the same conversations over and over again and so largely i feel like we we know that a lot of this is going to happen we know that there's going to be more extreme weather we've seen that in the last few Mm -hmm. years and then like it seems to only be getting worse. You can also sort of sort of predict these things based on, like you said, the dry seasons yeah. in different areas. Yeah. Although you can't necessarily predict exactly how it's going to start or in any way that you would be able to stop, I mean, fires or yeah. like a hurricane or tsunamis, any type of extreme weather. I don't know. It's just... Yeah, because but then on the other hand, like we're so exhausted because I feel like we're like perpetually surprised or, like, not surprised, but just, like, devastated each individual time mm-hmm. when these fires are happening. When it's, like, can kind of be seen as, from from what I've seen in 
the facts that I've seen and the patterns and just like the idea of like we could just give land back to indigenous people and things would get better Mm -hmm. probably or or there there are statistics and studies and it's it's been shown that if land is given back to indigenous people and there are legal protections that they're able to make decisions around economic activity in those areas like there's less deforestation there's less issues there's less fires like yeah I don't know I feel like looking at this one as a whole is a little I don't know it seems like maybe more action could happen or you can look at it from like a I don't know, smarter perspective rather than just being surprised every every time something awful happens, like popping up around the globe. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. No, I mean, well, it's also, I feel like it goes back to like having a globalist perspective or having a like hyper local perspective. And you kind of need to have both yeah. because you yeah. need to understand that most, I feel like the most you can be the most impactful within your hyper local community, especially in terms of like yeah. how you spend your money, um, how you throw away your trash, like um, which organizations you support. Like you can definitely make the most impact mm-hmm. specifically as like a person who does maybe doesn't have yeah. a huge income. Um, that's where you can make the most impact. But then you also have to see that those issues that you're facing locally are global issues. Um, yeah and there's so many frontline communities that are dealing with those issues first but that doesn't mean that it's their fault in any way it's that they are on the front lines of whatever environmental disaster is in the news that day or not doesn't even make the news all the time yeah I I wish I hadn't I wish there was an answer I'm not saying I don't have the answer I think yeah and I mean we're not like policy people like we're not gonna be able to like go to the west coast and be like this is the policy you guys should like i don't know in stay or whatever but like i just think it's interesting that there is policy that like could be looked at and be like oh like this is yeah i mean we need a green new deal yesterday and and also that yeah so it's it's just interesting to see i mean it's awful to see the patterns but i also think as devastating as the patterns are, if there was like a good pattern to counteract that and then everywhere in those bad areas did the good, good like action or good policy. Does that, does that am I saying words that make sense? <laughs> I mean, you're using bad and good a lot, but I, I, but I'm like, falling. But you know what I mean? If there are places where there are deforestation and fires, like if there's a solution that's working in one spot, there's a good chance that a similar sharing that information would work other places so it's a kind of thing where if something works we could start having solutions really quickly on a global and implement them on a global scale yeah and make a huge difference in moving towards worsening climate change then like if we had to literally put out thousands of different fires and start from square one yeah on each one so i feel like that is my positive takeaway here that like people are doing research and there are pa- like mm-hmm. there's the Amazon panel there are scientists and researchers and all sorts of people doing so much work on and on learning how to protect the Amazon because it is such a crucial and it's a- carbon store for the planet that could then maybe be applied to other places around the world yeah and also we've had a direct impact in the deforestation of the Amazon even if we aren't Brazilian citizens. You know what I mean? It's not yes. their issue. Yeah, it's we're a not... global issue. 
Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking earlier, I was like, teamwork makes the dream work. <laughs> I mean, yep. Yeah, no, really. Basically so, what like, it is. so just like climate change is such a big issue that, and even just like, like looking at the news and seeing all the fires in California and like all, like the scary, like glow over San Francisco and like everything being dark and so scary. It's like, what? do you do about that like it's hard to even believe it's real let alone like how do we stop that Mm -hmm. but like looking at it like oh there's like other things that are happening there's policy that could be put in place and like things and people know stuff people know how to fix it it's just that we have to get everyone to care and that's yes I feel like yeah that's the hard thing at this point in 2020 we're still it's so frustrating because I mean for decades for more than like before for this 21st century, people have been trying to get others to pay attention to this. And it's just slowly mm-hmm. getting to the point where, okay, people are thinking about this. And yeah. now I feel like everyone needs to think about this every day and in every decision that they make. It's very overwhelming. But at the same time, I feel like yeah. that's how we have that global interconnected change is by yeah. reevaluating And also not putting everything. it off. Yeah. Like, like, this is the, like, we don't, let's not procrastinate. Like, let's do a little bit every day. Like, let's do our homework. Let's, yeah. Like, but we know we're all bad our- at that. <laughs> Speaking of, <laughs> we're all awful of, of that reading. Yeah. But, like, it's the kind of situation where, like, if we keep putting it off and procrastinating it and not doing a little bit here and there. Honestly, it seems to be getting so much worse every single year, even with just, like, hurricanes and every Like, mm-hmm. it's noticeable if we put it off until we absolutely cannot ignore the orange haze in the sky. Right. Like, then if we pay, do a little bit now and it's a little bit stressful, it'll be less stressful than like... Yeah, I think the earlier later. the better. I wish we could rewind 100 years and do it then, but obviously we didn't have the foresight to be able to do that. Yeah, because, yeah, and I, I feel like I've heard a couple of people say things like in response to the fires and other things like... I, But I feel like specifically the fires make it really clear so much discussion has been like around oh like we need to do it for our kids like Mm -hmm. the next generation like it's all for them like we need to make sure the earth is inhabitable for them but it's like we need to make sure the earth is habitable for like inhabitable for us and also like our parents like yeah it's like not the future it's like past generations and like it's now like it's happening now yeah so air quality water quality should be a human right and it we're not be. prioritizing them. Yeah. Uh, I have a cute... Well, because I've also... Let's hear the cute Obviously story. been devastated by the, <laughs> the wildfires. I don't mean to in any way diminish them, but... Uh, and it's not diminishing them. It's a very, very, very cute story I saw or I heard on WBUR, which is like public mm-hmm. Boston radio. I think I quoted them in the last thing and I didn't even realize how much I, I listened to them, but they're great. Um, there was this story that it was about this couple, they were high school sweethearts and they had, um, they grew up in like a mobile home park in I think Northern California. And so the guy is a volunteer firefighter and I believe that his girlfriend was also like starting to volunteer as a firefighter. But there was a lightning storm about a month ago where they used to live, mm-hmm. their mobile, oh my gosh, I can't do it. Their mobile home. Their mobile home park but they they live slightly away from it but it's still where their families lived Uh um unfortunately even though they were like literally helping to fight the fire day and night 
it still took away completely that mobile home park. It was literally just like concrete slabs where the guy could see like footprints from his little brother where they'd Mm. been like they lost their entire uh, childhood homes. And so when they got home at the end of the day, the guy was like, you know, my girlfriend was crying and she's devastated. Like they both lost this huge part of their lives and kind of where they got to know each other. And so he had saved the ring that he had for her, like had put it in his pocket and been carrying it around that whole time. And he's like, I was already on my knees. So I thought, you know, maybe it'd make her feel better. And he proposed to her and now they're engaged. That's cute. Yeah, it's really cute. cute. I mean, they've been together for for years and stuff. I just thought it was a sweet story. That is, yeah, that is sweet. And they're both like heroes um, and obviously dealt with a a huge loss. Uh, But yeah, yeah, that was a little sweet story and a lot of devastation. Um, I saw another... You know, there have been a lot of really nice stories about community. You know, there's volunteer firefighters who are always volunteering for any type of small fires. And then there are also just community members, especially in like Oregon and Washington, who've just stepped up for their community, partially because Mm -hmm. they're not seeing enough. They don't feel like they're seeing enough response from local government, Um, but they've gone out and fought fires on their own. So there have been a lot of like community people that have been just like, you know, going yeah going and like there's a it's it's horrible you don't want tragedy to to be the thing that brings you together but it is nice to hear you know people relying on their community and maybe even like creating some community bonds through this horrible thing yeah 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 that is i mean yeah definitely a good thing and definitely i feel like any like organizational system these days that gets local people to know each other and like fighting fires or doing whatever needs to be done Mm -hmm. in the area is good and like it's a good thing to build off of too yeah just building off of that so yeah yeah so if anyone is listening that's in that area so sorry for everything that's happened and it's horrible and you know there's so I feel like this is just a constant fear for people is either you know these these types of extreme weather like I almost well we when we talked about this podcast it's like a podcast for your climate anxiety and like sometimes I mean that yeah, in more of like I, an existential way there's so many ways that you can look at that but also there's just climate anxiety of like you know everything I love could be gone at any moment because of xyz yeah. natural unnatural disaster yeah No, for sure. Yeah, honestly, like when all I feel like there were there was like a surge of news. I feel like specifically around that gender reveal thing, Mm -hmm. but like just like I mean, and just as the the pictures went up of like everything being look like looking like Mars. I don't know. It was just super overwhelming. Yeah, (laughs) they agree with us. (laughs) It was just like so overwhelming. I was just like, I need to go to bed. Like I can't. This is so like especially in a moment where it's like nine o'clock at night. You can't do anything about it. Right. Like. That's the time where, like, the climate anxiety is, like, so real. And it's, like, you're not... No one can do anything right now at, like, 9 p.m. Especially not in Austin, Texas. When you're across the country. Like, 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 it's fine. It's not... It's absolutely not fine. Mm -hmm. Um, But, like, yeah. Just, like, how do we process that? How do we process those feelings? I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah. I yeah, feel like just, sometimes we'll look back at this time in our lives and just be like, 
the little time capsule of something, even if we can't figure out what it is for another 10 years or so, it's a time capsule of something. That's actually what my one of my professors told us to do is like document this time, kind of talking more specifically about the pandemic, but really just in, mm-hmm. in general. Um, if you don't already journal, take photos, take videos, whatever, I really think it's good advice to just document this time, document how you're feeling, um, document all the noises that are happening outside of your apartment, like for me today. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And because this is a historic period of time and hopefully we can make it a historic period for the better but obviously there's a lot of devastation that's happening now to you and just like a heaviness in the air that literally we have to deal yeah or smoke in the air or just like yeah and I don't I don't really I don't think really any anyone knows exactly what to do with that especially if you're not like directly involved in something or whatever but I mean like that's what we're trying to figure out Mm -hmm. here and just talking about it because like Sometimes you do just, like, literally need to talk about it. Yeah. Be like, everything is on fire. Let's just, like, it can't be swept under the rug anymore. Right. Like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on that note. Um, is it time for the dump? <laughs> no, I feel like that. Or do you have a different note? Was that the dump? I don't have anything super interesting or new. Like, everything I've been watching is old. Yeah. I painted my house. I painted downstairs. I feel like that end section was almost the dump. Like, I think it's okay. It was the dump. Yeah. Yeah. I only have old shows to plug. So if anyone has any new, if you have any good TV recommendations, let me know. I rewatched the the Jinx this week and then spoiled it for everyone. (laughs) We ruined it. (laughs) It's fine. It's worth watching anyway. Yeah. So. No, it is worth watching. Yeah. No, that's, I feel like, yeah, just like the fires. That's, we can end on that note. (laughs) On that down <laughs> really bad, <laughs> awful. But again, just bringing it back up, the fact that there are things that actually help. Yeah. And we know about them and we don't have to invent them from scratch. We just need to do them and figure out the people that will make them happen. Yeah. And yeah, I feel like just awareness of issues. Don't overload yourself with things, but I think it's helpful to... Be a part of the conversation. I've said that before, but like just knowing about these things, ignorance is not bliss, especially in this in, like environment. It, it really helps to to be aware of what's happening. So hopefully we can help in keeping you informed, but also teaching you that clearly you don't have to know everything because we definitely don't. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> not even a little. Yeah. A little. A little. A tiny we know little some. bit. Um, yeah. Recall, not the best, but... Knowing things, yes, a little bit. <laughs> but if you like what we're doing, um, you can follow us at World is Burnin without the G on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we post a bunch of stuff on there. I feel like we've been having fun with it, and we'll probably get even more crazy with it in the future. Um, but mm-hmm. like, there's a lot of stuff that we just either don't think to say during the show or that we find out later. And especially this week, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of Amazon.com facts that I have. For the yeah, I'm gonna later. try and start some some shit on social media. So if you want to see that, you can yeah. Follow if you want to see us pick a fight with Jeff yeah. Bezos, follow us. After. Does he have social World media? World is burning. No G. I don't even know. Like him he probably personally. Doesn't. Anyways, I'll find out this week, and if he does, I will at him. Um, and then you can also uh, help us out a ton if you follow us or subscribe or like whatever on whatever platform you're on. 
Um, and then especially if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or you even just have the app, you can go and give us a review there. Maybe a five-star review. I mean, I don't know. If, if you want to. That's what we'd recommend. Yeah. But, you know, you personally. make your own decisions. Um, but, yeah, if, any reviews just helping us to get a little bit more on the radar for other people. It helps us out a whole lot. And then we post our extended show notes every week on worldisburning.com, our website. And we also have an email, worldisburningpod at gmail.com. And you can find all that stuff on our website. Yeah. yeah. Which, like, yeah, especially I feel like you touched on this, like, if you do live on the West Coast and, like, if anyone is rallying around stuff or, like, you know people who are volunteering as firefighters or just, like, anything that is happening, mm-hmm. I would love to I would love to hear it because yeah. I, I don't know other than the overwhelming story that everyone has heard. Right. Yeah. And those individual stories are so important. And I feel like that's what makes – you can find so much meaning in the individual stories almost more than you can in mm-hmm. these, like – big stories so yeah yeah Yeah. but thank you for listening yeah and come back next wednesday okay bye all right bye (laughs) all right bye (laughs)